0: Thank you so much. I love that. All right, going to Smith's Children's Church at this time. Program for a little ones. Right over here to your left with the begillies. If you would take out your notes for handout tonight. Did everybody have one? If you did not, any left, Phil? Any handout notes left? They're all gone, Okay. Tonight, I'd like to talk about something that, if the Lord tarries, every one of us will one day experience. Some of us sooner than others, but death. What the Bible says about death, or called the truth about death, we're going to, first of all, look at theories, things that are not true, that man has concocted about death. Then we're going to look at exactly what the Bible says about this. And it's something every one of us, if the Lord tarries, like I said, will one day experience. All of us will die one day. But what is the Bible, what is the truth about this event that every one of us will experience? And first of all, I'd like to look at what I call the theories about death. And the first one is very common. It says death ends everything. The theory that death ends everything. Basically, when you die, you cease to exist. And those who believe this says that man is like an animal. He lives on this earth, and when he dies, poof, he's gone. That's the end of any of his existence and it's quite popular today. That's what atheists believe. But what does the scripture teach? What does the Bible tell us about death? And I'd like to share that with you on this first point. First of all, the Bible says man was created in God's image. Man was created in God's image. And we're going to look at a couple of scriptures on that. In Genesis 1:27. It says, so God created man in his own image, in the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. And Genesis 2, 7, it talks about the three parts of man. It says, the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground, that refers to his body, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, that's his spirit, and man become a living soul. So the Bible tells tells us that man is a triune being, that man is a trichotomy, because we were created in God's image. By the way, did you know God's a triune being? The Bible says there's one God, but he exists simultaneously in three persons, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. So he's a triune being, and when he created you, he created you as a triune being, and the word there is a trichotomy, and 1 Thessalonians 5, I believe, most of the scripture we'll look at will be on the screen. We will turn to some. But 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23, it talks about the three parts of man. It says this, And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body, be preserved blameless unto the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice here, you are made in three parts, a spirit, a soul, and body. And that's talking about when God created you, you created you as he is, a triune being. However, an animal is not a trichotomy, an animal is a dichotomy. Animal has two parts. Where you have a body, soul, and spirit, he has a body and a spirit. In Ecclesiastes chapter 3, notice what it says there. It says, Who knoweth the spirit of man that goeth where? Upward. And the spirit of a beast goeth where? Downward to the earth. A question I'm asked quite often, do animals go to heaven when they die? And what would you say? I mean, one time my sister-in-law uh, asked me that question, and she had a dog she loved dearly, and the dog was like part of her family. And the dog died, and she asked me, says, "Dave, will I see my dog in heaven?" And you know, I, you know, um, I want to be careful because she was very emotionally attached. How many realize that in some families, dog, animals are part just as much a part of the family as kids are? And maybe you have a Fifi, a, a, I don't know. You have a little dog. But the question is, would dogs go to heaven? By the way, are there animals in heaven? Yes. There's horses. We know when Christ comes back, he'll be riding on a what? A white horse. But the question is, would dogs go to heaven and die? You know what I told my sister-in-law? I told her this. I said, well, the Bible does say we'll be happy in heaven. And if having a dog will make you happy, I believe you'll uh, be in heaven. (laughs) But biblically speaking, animals do not go to heaven. Animals are made of a dichotomy. They have a body and a spirit. Uh, uh, You and I have a body, soul, and spirit. Our spirit's connected to our soul, which lives forever. But an animal, his spirit's connected to his body. When his body dies, so does the spirit. So he cleans ass, he says, when we die, man goeth upward or an animal goes downward. And so uh, you were created in God's image and therefore you are a triune being. You you don't cease to exist when you die. Uh, I remember when I was working at a company in my early 20s, there was a man I worked with, his name was Jack Ellis. Jack was an atheist. He was a nice guy, and we got along very well, but he knew I was a Christian. And so many times I have opportunity to witness to Jack. And he was very kind and very nice. He says, you know, I want you to know, Dave, I don't believe a word you're saying. I don't believe in heaven. I don't believe in hell. I don't believe there's any existence after this life. I believe that when I die, that's it. And I said to Jack, I said, you know, Jack, I've shared with you from the Bible what the Bible says about heaven and hell and how you can go to heaven. I said, Jack, let's suppose you're right. That when you and I die, that's it. And if you're right, uh, and it doesn't matter for either one of us. And none the worse, none the better. But I said, Jack, if the Bible's right, when you die without Christ, you're going to go to a place called hell. I said, why not believe the Bible? Why not? Why take the chance that uh, the Bible's wrong? And why not believe what the Bible says? And so uh, he said, I have to think about that. And so I never, I never knew if he ever was saved or not, but uh, he believed that we're like an animal, that death ends everything. Number two, the second theory about death is people will have a second chance after death. People will have a second chance after death. While the idea of a second chance for, for salvation is appealing, the Bible is clear that death is the end of all chances. As long as a person is alive, he has a second, third, fourth, fifth chance to trust Christ as Savior, but once he's dead, that is it. Once a person dies, there are no second chances. So what does the Bible say about this? Is there a second chance after you die? Hebrews 9.26, look what it said. it on the screen there. It says, as is appointed unto men once to die, and after this, a second chance. Did it say that? No, it says what? The judgment. And so there is no second chance. And, you know, what that means, when should we trust Christ as Savior? Now. Don't wait till you die 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2. Many of you know this verse. It said, For he saith, I have heard thee in the time accepted, and in the day of salvation have I succored thee. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. So let me encourage you, if you're not saved, there is no second chances. The day to trust Christ is right now. You may not have tomorrow. You may not have, you don't have a lease on life. And so if you die without Christ, that's it. There's no second chance. So a wise man say, you know, if I'm going to get saved, I need to do it right now because I want to wait till I find out that everything the Bible said is true, but it's too late to trust Christ as Savior. So the second theory is people have a second chance. What a powerful motivation that it is to trust Christ, but also, please listen, it's a powerful motivation to win your friends to Christ. Realize they have no second chance. If they die without Christ, they will not go to heaven. They'll have to go to a place called hell. Number three, the third theory about death is death is soul sleep. Death is soul sleep. However, in the Bible, death is likened unto a sleep. Let me give you some verses on that. Death is likened unto sleep. 1 Corinthians 11.30, Paul said, For this cause many are weak, And sickly among you, and many sleep, that many have died. So there are places in the Bible, it refers to physical death as going to sleep. John 11, verse 11, these things saith he, after that he saith unto them, our friend Lazarus sleepeth, but I go that I may wake him out of sleep. Now they go and to say, if he's asleep, what do you worry about? He goes to say, he's dead. So sometimes in the Bible, it does use the word sleep as death. But let me give you a biblical definition of death. What is death according to the Bible? In James chapter 2, verse 26, I leave it will be on the screen, it says this, For as the body without the spirit is what Dead. Is that verse on the screen? It's not there, is it? It is not there. All right, let's turn there because I want you to underline your Bibles. Go to James, please. James chapter 2, because I want you to see clearly what the Bible, how the Bible defines death. James chapter 2, verse 26, the biblical definition of death. Death is not a soul. Soul sleep teaches that when you die, your soul remains with your body in the grave and sleeps there until Christ comes back uh, for the judgment. You may be there 100 years, maybe 1,000 years. depends on how long it takes for him to get here. But your soul sleeps with your body in the grave until he returns. That's what soul sleep teaches. But notice in James chapter 2, verse 26, it says, For as the body, what's the next word? Without the spirit is dead. So the Bible defines death as when the body is without the spirit. So look up here, please. If your soul remains with your body, and they put you in a casket and put you in the grave and bury you, my friend, somebody buried you alive. Because the Bible defines death as the body without the spirit. So when a person dies, his, spirit, his soul does not sleep. It leaves his body. And for the believer, absolutely, the body is what? Present of the Lord. And my friend, that's good news. So the Bible defines death as when your soul and spirit leaves your body. There is no such thing as soul sleep. Death means, or death is a separation of the soul and spirit from the body. Let me give you some examples of this. Go with me now to Luke chapter 16, please. Some examples that when a person dies, their spirit leaves their body. There are many churches that teach soul sleep. You ever heard of the uh, Seventh-day Adventist? they teach in soul sleep. That you die, your soul remains with your body in the grave in the casket until Christ comes uh, at, uh, for the judgment. But that is not true. In Luke chapter 16, you ever remember the story about Lazarus and the rich man? Luke 16 and verse 22. It said, it came to pass that the beggar, what? He died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried and in hell. He lifted up his eyes, being in torments. Notice there's two people that died one was a believer, one was a lost man. Lazarus was a believer. And when he died, the moment he died, his soul and spirit was carried by angels into a place of comfort. But the rich man died, was buried. At that moment, he lifted up his eyes, and he was being in torment. There was no sleeping. There was no remaining in the grave. The moment he died, he was aware, he woke up, and he was in hell. And so that's what the Bible teaches about uh, when a person died. Let me give you another one. Remember when Jesus was on the cross, both thieves asked to be saved? Do you realize that? One of them said, if thou be the Christ, the Son of God, save us and thyself. And the other thief, remember what he said? Lord, remember me when thou comest thy kingdom. And what did Christ say to him? Hang around a while, you're going to sleep for a while, and and I'll come back and get you. He said, today you'll be with me, what? In paradise. Notice there was no sleeping, there was no uh, hanging around for a while. He said, today you'll be in paradise. So there is no such thing as soul sleep. Sleep in the Bible refers to the body, not the spirit. Sleep in the Bible refers to the body, not the soul. Go with me now to 1 Thessalonians, please. 1 Thessalonians, let me show you another verse. Sleep in the Bible refers to the body, not the soul. Remember as a person, your soul and spirit are together, and when you die, they leave. If you're saved, they go to heaven, of course. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13, please. Many of you know this verse. This is the verse concerning the rapture of the church. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. He said, But I would not have you be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are what? Talking about those that have died physically that you sorrow not even as others which have no hope. Verse 14. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them which also, what's the word there? Sleep that died in Christ. Notice here, it said, will God bring with him. At the rapture, when the Lord comes back from heaven, it says here, he'll bring the loved ones back with him. So that means they're not in the grave asleep. They're in heaven. So at the rapture, though the body in the grave, when Christ comes back, he'll bring them back with him. Their body will be resurrected and reunited with their soul. And it goes on to say, verse 16, for the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with a voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead, talking about the bodies, and Christ shall rise first. So there is no such thing as soul sleep. The word sleep refers to the body not the soul it is the body that sleeps in the earth until the resurrection when it is united with her soul the next theory the next theory quite often this is what Jehovah witnesses teach that death it means annihilation death it means annihilation Being annihilated is the belief that unbelievers will not experience an eternity of suffering in hell, but instead will be extinguished after death. For many, being annihilated is an attractive belief because of the awful idea of a person dying and spending eternity in a place called hell. But it is not biblical. When a person dies, they're not annihilated. Let me give you a biblical description of hell. A biblical description of hell. Matthew 25, I believe these verses be on the screen. Here's what the Bible says about hell. Two things about hell. Then shall he say also them on the left hand, Depart from me ye cursed into what? What kind of fire? Everlasting Everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. I was talking about hell today in my Sunday school class. And people always wonder about why, you know, who created hell? Where did hell come from? My friend, God created hell. But notice here it says he created it, what? For the devil and his angels. He never created, he did not create hell for man. He created it for Satan and his angels, which fell uh, away from heaven. Man goes there because he rejects Christ as Savior. God made it possible for man to go to heaven, but he doesn't force man to go to heaven. Man has a free will and can reject or accept Christ as Savior. Verse 46 of the same book, Matthew 25, 46, these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous and the life eternal. So notice the punishment in hell, two words to describe it, it's everlasting and eternal. It is not temporary. You don't know, cease to exist when you die. You're not annihilated, that you will go somewhere forever. Now, if you would please go with me now to the book of Revelation. Let me give you, show you an example of a person that went to hell. Revelation chapter 19, please. And we can see from the scripture that hell, when a person goes to hell, he's not annihilated, he is there forever. This annihilation has the idea when you go to hell that you're burned up and you cease to exist. Because you think about anything of matter, you throw it in the fire, what happens to it? It burns up and it's gone. So those who believe annihilations, that will happen to you when you go to hell. You're burned up and you're gone. But is that true? Matthew 19 and verse 20, please. Look what it says here. Matthew 19, verse 20. I'm sorry, Revelation. Thank you. I always know when I say something wrong, I see the funniest looks on faces. Please keep doing that. (laughs) Revelation 19, verse 20. Thank you very much. It says, the beast was taken, and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him, with which he deceived them that received the mark of the beast, and them that worshiped the image. And notice here, these both, what? the beast and the false prophet, these both were cast alive into the lake of fire burning with brimstone. So here's two individuals that existed during the tribulation period, the beast, false prophet, and in the judgment, they were cast alive into the lake of fire. Now, according to the theory of uh, annihilation, when they're cast there, pfft, they're gone. But I want you to notice Revelation 20, verse 1. The last... Three chapters of the Bible are in chronological order. So these two individuals were just cast a lake a of fire. Look in Revelation 20, verse 1. John said, I saw an angel come down from heaven, having a key of a bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him for how long? Are you talking now? Did I lose you? A thousand years. Remember that bound him for one thousand years, verse three, and cast him into the bottomless pit, and shut him up, and sealed, set a seal upon him, that he should not deceive the nations no more, till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that, he must be loosed, and a little season. Now, why he's in this bottomless pit for a thousand years? That's when Christ will reign on the earth for a thousand years. They call the millennial reign of Christ. So Satan is cast in the bottomless pit for how long? 1,000 years. Now look in verse 7. And when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be what? Loosed out of his prison. Now go to verse 10, please. And the devil that deceived them were cast into the lake of fire and brimstone. Notice here, where the beast and the false prophet were. Did it say that? It says, where they what? Are. Present tense. Now look up here, please. One thousand years have expired. remember, prior to Satan being chained in the bottomless pit, the beast of false prophet would cast a lake of fire. Then 1,000 years passed. Then Satan's cast a lake of fire. And guess who's still there? The beast of false prophet. They were not annihilated, they didn't cease to exist, they were still there. And it says, Satan shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. So there is a verse that defeats the idea of annihilation, but also supports the idea that hell is forever. 1,000 years later, the beasts of all the prophets are still there, still suffering in torment, and Satan will be there and says, He shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. Next, the next theory about death is this, there is an intermediate state in, in a place called purgatory after death. have you heard of that before? Purgatory. Purgatory is a doctrine by the Catholic Church. It is a man-made doctrine. It is nowhere found in the Bible. According to the Catholic encyclopedia, purgatory is a place or condition of temporal punishment for those who departing this life In God's grace are not entirely free from venial faults and have not fully paid the satisfaction due to their transgressions. To summarize Catholic theology, purgatory is a place that a Christian soul goes to after death to be cleansed of sins that have not been fully satisfied during life. In other words, if you're not quite bad enough to go to hell, but not quite good enough to go to heaven, you go to purgatory. And they're in purgatory, you suffer for a while to pay for your sins, and that's a temporary place, and when that's done, you go to heaven. In the Catholic Church, there's two kinds of sin. There's a venial sin and a mortal sin. A venial sin is one that's not so bad that will not send you to hell. A mortal sin is one that will send you to hell. For the venial sins is the ones when you go to a confession booth. Confess yourself, your sins to a priest. They will give you some indulgences and Hail Marys. If you do these things and give you some penances, if you do these things, this will pay for your sins and allow you to be forgiven. But if you miss out on those and do not pay for them by these these indulgences and penances, then you have to go to purgatory. And also... If you have loved ones in purgatory, you can give money to the Catholic Church and the priests will pray uh, them out of that. Uh, other words, you, if you have loved ones that were not quite good enough for heaven, but they were not terrible for hell, they go to purgatory. And you can go to the Catholic Church and give money to the church to buy them out of purgatory. And it's interesting. You say, Pastor, that's not true. Yes, it is. When John F. Kennedy was assassinated, the Kennedy family gave $1 million to the Catholic Church to buy his soul out of purgatory. So purgatory is a man-made doctrine. But let me, there is scripture they use to support it. And I wanna show it to you in case you ever have to uh, defend what you believe. Go with me now to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter three, please. Here's the scripture that is used by the Catholic Church to support purgatory. Remember purgatory is a place of suffering. It's a place where a person is existing in a fire for a period of time until their venial sins are taken care of and then they're allowed to go to heaven. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 this is the description of the judgment seat of Christ. And look what it says here, first Corinthians chapter three, verse thirteen. It says, Every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it talking about the, uh, your work shall be revealed by fire, and fire shall try every man's work what sort it is. Verse 14 If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. But if any man's work shall be what? Burned. He shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so is by fire. Notice it's not the person that's being burned. It's his works that are being burned. And the purpose of this judgment is not to determine going to hell, or heaven or not. It's to determine what degree of reward you have in heaven. All your works as a believer one day will be placed before the Lord. And their works will be placed in a fire. And the fire shall judge your works what sort it is. Is it a good work or bad work? Is it one that will abide the fire and receive reward or be burned up and suffer loss of reward? But it has nothing to do with that. This is after you are already in heaven, the judge seated the seat of Christ. So this is the verse that we use for uh, purgatory, thinking that you'll have to go there and you'll have to burn for a while and then, uh, uh, and then go to heaven. But what does the scripture teach? Jesus paid the penalty of our sins. Amen. Jesus paid. You don't have to go to purgatory and pay for the things you did wrong. Jesus paid the penalty of our sins. 1 John chapter 2, verse 2. And he, the Lord Jesus, is the propitiation for our sins, and not our sins only, but the sins of the whole world. Purgatory says you have to go and suffer and pay for them until you take care of the things you've done wrong. Then you can go to heaven. My friend, Jesus paid the penalty for us. Next about Jesus, Jesus' death satisfied God. Jesus' death satisfied God. Remember he said, Catholic theology said, you have to go to purgatory and there suffer a while until your debt's been satisfied. How many realize Jesus' death satisfied God? He said, show me that, Pastor. I'm glad you asked. Go to Isaiah 53, please. Isaiah 53. Let me show you that the sufferings of Christ satisfied God as a payment for our sin. You don't have to go to purgatory and suffer for a while to make satisfaction for what you did wrong. Jesus did that on the cross. That's the good news of the Gospel. Isaiah 53 verse 5, please. In verse 5, here is a prophecy foretelling the the sufferings of the Messiah, the Savior. Something he would do 600 years before he was even born. And notice here it said, verse 5, but he was what? Wounded for our transgression. Notice the substitutionary payment here. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are what? Healed. Verse 10. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief when he had made, shall make his soul an offering for sin. Come here, please. When Jesus hung on the cross, Peter said he bore our sins to body on the tree. Why he was bearing our sin, listen carefully, please. It pleased the Father to bruise him. It pleased to make him suffer because he was doing that for you. Suffering was required for sin, but Jesus suffered that for you. And it said there, it pleased the Father to bruise him. But look with me in verse 11, please. He, about the Father, shall see the travail of his Jesus' soul, his sufferings, he shall see it, and shall be what? Satisfied. The death of Christ on the cross satisfied all the demands of God's law upon you. And when he died, he was satisfied. It's done. It's paid in full. The prisoner will go free. Now, how do we know that God the Father accepted the payment his son made for us? He raised him from the dead. The resurrection was God's declaration of the world. I'm satisfied with my son's payment and raised him from the dead. So at the moment you die, you do not go to purgatory. We quoted the verse already, 2 Corinthians 5.8, to be absent from the body is to be what? present purgatory, (laughs) present with the Lord. All right, one more theory. One more theory. This is quite common. This is taught by the Hinduism and the New Age movement and the Spiritism. Death means reincarnation. Death means reincarnation. Uh, To reincarnate literally means to incarnate again to become flesh again. That is, reincarnation is a rebirth into a new body and flesh of blood. In most contexts, reincarnation refers to the process after death of a soul returning to a new body, and when people claim to have uh, memories of a past life, they think it's reincarnation. Interesting, the in India, where there's people starving to death, someone, my dad used to say, there's. Uh, there's uh, porter houses, there's all kind of steaks walking around they can eat. It's called cows. Why don't they eat their cows? Because they think that might be Uncle Fred who come back as a cow. My friend, they believe that literally. Many times they won't kill animals, they won't kill insects because there might be an aunt and uncle that came back in reincarnation and become a cow. Sometimes they got mice running all over the place. They won't kill them, because they think that might be a family member who come back as a mouse. That's what reincarnation teaches. Yet that is solely wrong. What does the scripture teach about reincarnation? When you come back in another life, a verse we looked at already. But look at it again. Hebrews nine twenty-seven. Look on the screen there, please. As is appointed unto men, what's it say? Once, to die. Reincarnation says you die again, come back again, die again, come back again. There's many lives after this one life on earth. You're appointed unto man once. And so everybody has an appointment with death, and you'll die once. However, please listen. This is a general rule of all mankind, but there are some exceptions. There are some exceptions. Can you think of someone who died more than once? Lazarus did. Remember Lazarus? that God raised, him back from the dead? Now, generally when we come back from the dead, we come back in a glorified body. But those like Lazarus who were raised from the dead by a miraculous act of our Savior were not resurrected to a glorified body or to an unending life. They were brought back in the same original body. So he died once and his members sister sisters said, Lord, he stinketh. And Lord raised him back from the dead into the same body, and guess what? He died again. So there are some exceptions of dying more than once. Another exception, there are some people that will never die. How about the rapture? That, you know, basically it's talking about that we shall behold, show. You show you mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be what? Changed. So at the rapture, You wouldn't even die once. I don't know about you, I hope that's in my lifetime. And rapture uh, happens. Can you think of some Old Testament saints who never died? Enoch, Enoch never died. It says in Genesis 5, 24, and Enoch walked with God and he was not, but God took him. He's an Old Testament example of, of the rapture. Also Elijah, Elijah never died. Second Kings 2.11. It came to pass as they went on and talked that behold there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire and they parted them both asunder and Elijah went up by a whirlwind in heaven. He did not die at all. So generally speaking it's appointed unto men to die one time and you're going to die. But there are exceptions. You may be caught in the rapture and never die but there are, these exceptions are few. So what I'm saying here, everybody's going to die once except the Lord intervenes. He's the one who makes the exception. Whether it be for Lazarus, for Elijah, for an Enoch, or at the rapture, he intervenes and changes that law he set forth himself. All right. So we looked at six theories about death. What is the truth about death? Let's go through this quickly because time is about gone. The truth about it, first of all, death is a result of sin. Why do people die? Because of sin. Death is a result of sin. Listen to this verse. And it said, And the Lord God, Genesis 2.15, The Lord God took man and put him in the garden of Eden to dress it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but... Of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For the day thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely what? Here's a question for you. Did he die? The Lord said, the day you eat thereof, that day thou shalt surely die. Did he die? Yes, he did. He died spiritually. Now, what does death mean? Separation. At the first time in his life, he was separated from God spiritually. But as time went on, he eventually died physically. God created man to live forever. If Adam had never sinned, he'd be still alive today. And by the way, if Jesus had not died on the cross, he'd still be dead alive today. Because there was no sin in him. Therefore, he would not experience the judgment of sin. He would have lived on forever in the body that he had lived here. So, but men die because of sin. Death is a result of sin. Letter B, death is a separation. Don't miss that. That answers so many of the questions today. Remember, James said in James two twenty-six, 26, the body without, the word without means separate or apart from the spirit, is dead. So when you die, The moment you breathe your last breath, your spirit leaves your body. As a Christian, absent from the body is what? Present with the Lord. Let us see. Death will one day be destroyed. Death will one day be destroyed. In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 25. For he must reign till he hath put all enemies under his feet. And the last enemy that shall be destroyed is what? Death. One day, death shall be destroyed. And lastly, we'll wrap it up with this. This is my favorite one. There will be no death in heaven. Why? Because there's no sin in heaven. (laughs) What brings forth death is sin. Revelation 21, verse 4. It said, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, There shall there be any more pain for the former things are passed away. You know what makes heaven so wonderful? How many of you have loved ones in heaven? How many of you remember experiencing the sorrow, the grief of losing them, the separation from them? Not in heaven anymore. When you go to heaven, you'll never be separated from them again because there is no death, no separation in heaven. Let's close with this. Because of understanding what death is, my friend, the child of God need not fear death. Are you afraid of dying? One person said, I'm not afraid of dying, Pastor. I'm afraid of how I'm going to die. <laughs> that, that may bring a little concern. But either way, God will be with you. He'll see you through it. But you need not to fear death. Now, think about what is death? As we close, death is a separation. For the believer to separate from the body is to be what? Is anything better than that why would you fear death to death is to be present with the Lord there's nothing greater more exciting more than that so do not fear death so I can remember uh, when I had my heart attack how many remember that when I went uh, I was in my uh, office Started feeling chest pains. Long story short, my wife took me to the hospital. And when I walked in there, I I coded. My heart stopped. And they had to bring out the paddles. And I understand they shot me three times and they brought me back. I was asked, did I see any bright lights, anybody in a tunnel? No, I did not. (laughs) But the man who picked me up from the hospital when I came home was uh, Pastor Nichols. And he asked me a question. I never forget it. He he says, Pastor, were you ever afraid? Were you ever afraid? And you know, by the grace of God, I was not. I was not. Because I believe the Bible. And I believe if I would have died, I would have woke up in heaven. Am I afraid of that? (laughs) Not at all. So, my friend, if you've never trusted Christ, then truly you have a reason to be afraid of death. (laughs) because die without Christ is spend eternity in a place called hell. But if you're saved, my friend, don't be afraid of it. I'm not saying looking forward to it. I'm not saying you ought to participate and in, 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 in make it happen. Leave that to the Lord. But when it happens, absent from the body is what? Present the Lord. We can rejoice. So, and let me close with this. And uh, as a pastor, I have done probably hundreds of funerals over the years. And let me share with you, there's a vast difference between doing a funeral for a believer than a funeral for an unbeliever. I've done a funeral for a Christian family that was almost like a revival services. They came with excitement, with a great joy, because a loved one was in heaven. And that's how we ought to look at uh, that sense. But I did a funeral for an unsafe person—a story I haven't told quite some time—and I'll close with this: uh, Lotus, not Lotus. It was Blunt's Funeral Home. It was located in Lutz at that time. Called me up. They had a family uh, that experienced a loss of a loved one. It was an 18-year-old boy that hung himself. They lived in—they uh, were migrant workers. They lived in a home that did not have a ceiling in it; had rafters in there. And they came home one day, and they found the sun hanging from the rafters and just devastated them. And and uh, Blunt said they have no church home, they have no uh, pastor, and they wanted a minister to do the service. Pastor pastor, would you do the service for them? I said, I'd be happy to. Opportunity to give the gospel. But three times during the service, I had to stop because the weeping was so loud you could not hear the pastor speak. I mean, they're talking about wailing. Here's a mom had an 18-year-old boy, and they had no hope of seeing him again. No hope. And I experienced that in their faces. And, and when the funeral was done, of course, the casket was up front here, and the family had come down to view the casket one more time. And the mother came down, and the funeral director had to run to the casket because she reached down and grabbed the body of her son and pulled him out of the casket. I wanted to hold him one more time. I've lost my son. And there was a vivid example of no hope. I found without Christ, there is no hope. But with Jesus Christ, there's called the what? The blessed hope. We have that in Christ. And so, Christian, you need not fear death because the Lord Jesus Christ is our blessed hope. But if here tonight you've never trusted Christ, then you have every reason to fear. And fear death because when you die without Christ, you go to a Christless eternity. Let's bow together, please. I want to share with you tonight a little different message than normal. Normal would do some preaching, but tonight it was more teaching. And I want to teach you what the Bible says about death. And first of all, understanding what death is not. We saw six different theories of man concerning death and why each one of them are wrong. Then we saw from the word of God, from scripture, what death is. And for the believer, death is not annihilation, it's not an end. It is just the beginning of life on earth to life in heaven for eternity. So Christian, do not fear death. Do not see it as something that, something terrible. In a sense, it's a wonderful thing because Christ would take you to heaven to be with him but by chance you're here tonight and you've never trusted Christ to be your savior, my friend, why not do that tonight? Why not make your home in heaven a certainty? Why not leave here with assurance that you're going to be in heaven with the Lord forever and ever? He said, Pastor, I'd like to have that assurance. I'd like to know that I have eternal life, that heaven's my home. I don't want to go through life anymore hoping or guessing or wondering. I want to know I have eternal life. How can I know that, Pastor? You can know that simply by trusting Jesus Christ as your Savior. The Bible tells us that we're all sinners. I'm a sinner, you're a sinner. We've all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And because we've sinned, we have earned the judgment of a holy God. The soul that sinned, the Bible says, must die. And the Bible says our good works, our good deeds will not pay the penalty. Our good works cannot save us, will not get us to heaven. That's bad news. But the good news is God loves you just the way you are. He loved you so much, he sent his son to pay the penalty for you. And when Jesus Christ died on the cross, my friend, he died in your place. He died in your stead. He took your sins upon himself, and the Father punished him for what you've done wrong. And the Bible said when he saw the travail of his soul, he was pleased. He was satisfied because Jesus paid the penalty for you. He died for you, he was buried, and he rose again. And God is satisfied. And now he offers you forgiveness. He offers you a home in his heaven, eternal life, and spend eternity with him if you accept the payment his son made for you and trust his son to be your savior. If you've done that, my friend, rejoice that heaven's your home, but if you have not, why not do it right now? As we close in prayer, why not talk to God and trust Jesus to be your savior, leaving here knowing heaven's your home? If you've never trusted Christ as savior, why not talk to God and maybe say something like this, in your own thoughts, only he knows your thoughts, you cannot go wrong, and just say this, dear God of heaven, I acknowledge that I'm a sinner. I've done things wrong. And because I've sinned, I've earned, I deserve your punishment. And I realize, according to the Bible, the punishment of my sin is death in a place called hell. But God realized that I cannot save myself. My works, my deeds cannot save me, cannot earn salvation. I want to trust Christ to be my savior. I want to trust him to forgive me and to give me eternal life. I believe he died for me. I believe he was buried and he rose again. And right here tonight, I am trusting Christ to be my personal Savior so I can go to heaven when I die. As Hezbollah and eyes are closed, my friend, did that make sense to you? Did you trust Christ to be your Savior? If you did according to the Bible, right now, heaven's your home. That's his promise. But I'd like to know if anyone did that tonight. If you made that decision tonight for the first time, you trusted Christ and allow me simply to pray for you. I'm not going to put you on the spot or have you fall. I'm not going to bear you. I just want to pray for you. But if you did that tonight, as heads are bowed and eyes are closed, would you simply raise your hand so I can pray for you? And what all? Pastor, here's my hand. I trusted Christ. Would you pray for me this morning, this evening? And what all? Father in heaven, I hope that means each one has trusted Christ as Savior. And Father, as believers, we need not fear death, though that is appointed unto us. If you tarry, we will die one day. But, Father, that's just a door opening for us to go to heaven with you. And we look forward to that. So, Father, help us be found faithful in sharing that good news with others, that death need not be feared. Death is a way to be in the presence of God. And we thank you for that. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.